your world of rugby. This is the official Rugby 365 podcast. Welcome to this week's edition of Rugby 365 podcast. I'm your host, Jan de Quenning, and all the way from Paul. Lofi, Elof. Eugene, first up, I have to alert the listeners that uh, this is our last podcast for the year. We feel it's an appropriate to finish off on a high and finish off with a wrap of the World Cup and, and of the rugby. I mean, obviously, there's going to be rugby, plenty of rugby. We've got Pro 14 Premiership and European Cup and all sorts of stuff coming in the weeks, and, and we'll cover that on the website. But I think from a podcast point of view, this is a perfect uh, way to end the, the year. I agree with you, Jan, but we're not on a high. It's higher than high. I can just imagine the euphoria that I had in Japan with the team. Just a team that was dreaming, that was believing in themselves. And then the dream came true. And I read an article that Henan uh, Gierke wrote, and he's just got a spot on the culture of the team was just right. Eugene, perhaps it's good that we start with, with different views. I mean, we we obviously all elated and overjoyed at being not just the World Cup champions, but the rugby champions and also uh, number one in the world. You know, the first time in 10 years since 2009, September 2009 was the last time South Africa was ranked number one in the world. So obviously we're going to be happy and overjoyed. I think now's a good uh, time to get some perspective or we'll start off with some perspective and listen to a Kiwi and New Zealand view on what has happened in, in this tournament and exactly what South Africa did. So I think let's start off with your friend uh, Adrian Kennedy, former Stormers coach and a respected rugby brain in New Zealand, Adrian Kennedy. So let's listen to what Adrian had to say. Hello, Jan. I think the box have proven that the secret to World Cup success is not in the razzle-dazzle or game-breaking ability of backs, but a team playing to its natural strengths, or its natural and historical strengths. That would include a dominant forward pack, set-piece efficiency, breakdown accuracy, winning the game line, goal-kicking prowess, finishing abilities, and pace out wide. I think in your leadership team of Sia Khaleesi and Andre Pollard, it was very clear and very strong. And I think Rasi Erasmus has completed a 360-degree turnaround of the box. The playing style remains the same, and why shouldn't it? It's a physical mindset, it's competitive, it's defensively organised, and it's a very fit team. I think the 6-2 split Rasi used was a master stroke using best possible resources at his disposal. The ban on social media also took out unwelcome distractions. I think you've all done South Africa proud. I've viewed many fine bot performances over the years and also games in the archives. But to me, this is the greatest test bot performance I've ever seen. An absolute demolition of England. So congratulations, South Africa, the box, and all box supporters. Enjoy the fanfare. You all deserve it. Well done, Bocker. Also, further yum is just to congratulate Japan on a wonderfully organised World Cup. Very enjoyable from a spectator point of view. Look, wonderful atmosphere. The grounds looked in mint condition and played in very fine in the main conditions. So well organised. So congratulations to Japan. And they certainly emerged as a rugby nation as well. So well done to them. Yes, Yana. Irene is just an example of a New Zealander that loves his rugby, that understands the game and that gives respect to a team that he thinks deserve that respect. And he was spot on with, we were just clinical on the day. It was one of those 
perfect matches that they just come once in a while. But on the right day, we peaked and we outplayed them in all phases of the game. So Adi was right. And, and Jan, you know, just besides the technical comments he made, that is also the whole attitude of the New Zealand people, the sportsmanship. I mean, I got a lot of messages from my friends in New Zealand and, and Sonny Bill Williams going out and congratulating the guys. So he summarized it in a short while, just saying on the day how good we were. And on the day, if you arrive, you can win any match. You know, there's all sorts of cliches and terms that we can use and, and we'll get into the game itself in a bit. And I know we saw, we saw glimpses of what Rossi was doing with this team and, you know, there was criticism. I mean, we were critical of Babs Villy, you know. Uh, there were times when we thought, uh, could we swap the lose-forward combination? So people analyse and people debate and some of the things we got wrong and this is a good time to say I'm just happy that uh, Rassi backed himself that Rassi backed the players and the players backed Rassi and it built up to a crescendo and the crescendo was was the final you know the, the way the intensity with which they played we saw that from the Italy game I think the first glimpses or signs that that this team was coming good was in that Italy game when that first half when they completely shut Italy out and, you know, it's worth noting that, that in this entire tournament, so Africa has only conceded four tries. You know, people can say what they like. You know, we, we scored 32 tries and we only conceded four. That in itself tells you something. So, so people people will say, oh, yeah, it's a boring game. It's a kicking game. And there were lots of criticisms of the way that Faftetlad kicked. But the fact remains that a bar New Zealand who scored 34 tries. So Africa scored 32 tries, the, the most tries, and we conceded only four. No other team has scored has conceded less than 10 tries. So it tells you something about getting the balance right. And I think that if you go look at that final again, you will see, you know, we get a few penalties and it was 12-6 at halftime and then at one stage it was 15-12. And the reality is that you kick in and, and that slow poison, I think the, uh, the, the good old-fashioned word of slow poison, kicked in. And then that last 20 minutes, like, New Zealand used to do for the last decade. They grind you down and in the last 20 minutes they kill you off and that's exactly what the Springboks did. In the last 20 minutes, I mean, two sublime great tries. You know, I think the touches in, in, in those two tries, if you, if you look at Am's pass to Mapimpi or Marx's pass uh, flick on, little touches which you, you don't generally see from teams and those sort of things, is, it tells you that this team is super confident and really well coached. Yes, Jan, I think we, we're going to discuss uh, Rossi as a coach and persona later. But if you look at the build-up, every match, and I, and I agree with you about the Italy game, but even after Wales, everyone was still concerned and thought that England's going to be tough because England played that perfect game in their semi-final against New Zealand. They made no mistakes. They were all over New Zealand. And even we were concerned. And I remember my remarks about my heart says that we, we can win it. But the build-up said that England is the favourites to win it. But we were the underdogs and we came out the top dogs. And uh, I must also agree with you, the one thing Rossi did right as well. He did a lot of things right. But the one big thing is he stuck to his players. And there was a lot of criticism. And there was a lot of you know people on social media giving their inputs on, on Faf and on Vili and on on the selections and that's why uh, you know when a coach goes into a competition like this you back your players if it comes off great if it doesn't come off it's also fine I think he backed the important players and I mean we all know it, it was a team effort on Saturday but some of the individuals that was criticised were actually damn good on Saturday yeah we're talking about Vili and Faf and players like that who took a lot of flack throughout the tournament and, and they came good and we know that what's in the, in the wings waiting. You know, we've got some really good players coming through, and and we'll chat a bit about uh, Rossi and, and succession plans in, in a while. But I think you know 
what we need to acknowledge is the fact that Russia had been building. He only had 16 months. So the last time somebody did such a short turnaround was Kitsch Christie in 1995 when we came back from New Zealand. And the team was in quite a dire strait when we came back from New Zealand. You know, they, they fired Ian Mack as a coach and, and there was a lot of turmoil. And Kitsch went unbeaten, uh, went on an unbeaten 14 match run. We, we won the World Cup as well. And well, it was 10 runs, 10 matches to the World Cup and then another four matches afterwards. But Rassi the same thing, you know, he had, he had a short turnaround, he started last year and, and I think he said he had 18 matches in, in total up until the World Cup final and he worked with a plan every game and, and as much as we disliked some of the tactics, the defensive system had to, uh, structure had to change and eventually in that final or the, the tournament itself, you could see, and, and I'll probably hop on about this a bit, but we scored 32 tries and conceded only four. That in itself tells you that this plan that, that was set, set in motion, while we lost some games last year, I know we lost against Wales and we lost against England, and that sort of put doubt in our minds. And then and then we drew with New Zealand in the rugby championship and then eventually won it. And then when we lost in the first match, you know, there, there, there's always these doubts that creep in. But Rossi had, had belief and he acknowledged there were times when, when he was wondering, but he had belief in, in the system that he was putting in place. And eventually it came good. And it came good when it mattered. And I think, you know, we have to just acknowledge that it's, so, it's something that started back in March 2018. 18 matches later, we are the World Cup winners, the Rugby Championship winners, and we are the world's top-ranked team. Yes, Jan, we are the world's number one. And if I can just, I'm going to get away from the rugby and people. If you look at the history of the African World Cups, this is undoubtedly the most significant win in terms of the game that was played, uh, the outcome. You know, when Kitsch was there, we all knew politically how great it was to win that game against a great New Zealand side that went into extra time and Joel Stronsky dropped uh, when Jake won it. And Kitsch was the man and he'll always be the man that brought us back onto the map. Then Jake came and that great win against England. And now it's Rossi's turn. Kitsch is there and Jake is there, but now it's Rossi's turn. He's number one on the rostrum and he must enjoy this time now. And I, and I think he's got a big role to play in the future going ahead or where we're going. Because I, I must also admit with you, I'm getting tired of hearing people say we need to get New Zealand coaches. He's proven now again, our coaches are just as good as they are, if not better. Maybe we should know, and it's a discussion for next time, go look at the education and the training of our own coaches. Eugene, perhaps now is a good time to bring in Rossi and hear what he had to say. I think we've done a lot of articles about how happy people were and we've got videos about how people celebrate and that. It's worth listening to what Rossi said on what, what this win means for South Africa, how this will help the country and the country in general and what the future holds. And he also speaks about a view to the planning for the 21 British and Irish Lions. So, so Rossi, even though he's, uh, he's won and, and the team arrived on Tuesday back from Japan, the planning, the succession planning is, is there and, and we'll touch on, on replacements for Rossi later. But I think let's listen to what Rossi had to say after the, the win in Japan. We're so proud, um, not just because we found the trophy, but because we're South Africans and, and uh, a lot of people thought we'd never make it and we just believe South Africans never give up and that makes us really proud. And in South Africa, pressure is not having a job. Pressure is one of your close relatives being murdered. Uh, in South Africa, there's a lot of problems, which is pressure. And we started talking about things like that. And rugby shouldn't be something that creates pressure on you. Rugby should be something that creates hope. So we started talking about things that we've got a privilege of giving people hope, not a burden of giving people hope. But hope is not talking about hope and saying you got hope and tweet a beautiful tweet and, and things like that. Hope is when you play well and people 
watch the game on a Saturday and have a nice bra well, barbecue for people who doesn't know braise <laughs> and have a nice barbecue and watch the game and feel good afterwards and no matter of your political differences or religious differences or whatever, for those 18 minutes you agree with a lot of things that you normally disagree and we just start believing in that and saying, but that's not our responsibility, that's our privilege to try and fix those things. And the moment you see it in that way, you know, it becomes a hell of a privilege and you start working towards that and I think that was the way we tackle this whole World Cup campaign. When I took over two years ago or a year and a half ago, it was 618 days till the World Cup and we planned to the World Cup to try and win the World Cup. I think it's now 614 days to the British and Irish Lions and we'll start planning now for the British and Irish Lions because that's the next, obviously we've got the rugby championships next year and normal super rugby and all the normal normal, uh, local competitions but I think it's 614 days or close to that before the British and Irish Lions land in South Africa so we'll start planning for that now. Uh, The big thing for us is what we are trying to do is to be consistent now. I think what Eddie's done with England when they won 23 out of 24 games, you know, they were starting to be consistent and what Warren did with Wales were being consistent. So the thing that we were terrible at in 2018 was we were up and down. And this year, you know, we played 12 games and we lost one. So we're getting that consistency back. And yes, we've got the World Cup here, but going into next year, you wouldn't lose a first test match again. You know, people forget about the World Cup, you know. So we want to go and get consistency now and work towards the British and Irish Lions and next World Cup and so on. So hopefully we can get that right. Well, that's Russian. and, you know, you can hear that planning is there, you know, and the succession planning is, is already on the way. I think it's also worth listening to what Sia Khaleesi, captain, you know, there the were some of us who wondered, is he the right man for the job? And I think he's proven, absolutely proven, that he is the right man for the job. He is the captain. He is the person that the team looks up to. And yeah, you know, listen what Sia had to say about Rassi and how he picked the box up from the floor and made him number one. To see the joy in my teammates' faces, that was the best thing, I think, for me, because I know how hard it worked and how hard the coaches have worked and uh, we're really just grateful, you know. But the way we played, we, we wanted to say thank you to our coach who's came in and just changed a lot and on the way that we saw rugby as well. And I'm really grateful we could do this uh, for him and the coaching staff and everybody in the management. I think the first meeting we had in, it was in Joburg, it was just straightforward and he told us exactly what we were doing as players, you know, we were getting quite a, a lot of us were getting quite a lot of money and we were just doing all the things off the field, posting, you know, trying to inspire people by not playing rugby well. We didn't make rugby the main thing. And he kind of, not kind of, he told us straight, like, it has to change. The shift has to come. Rugby is more important. The Springboks are more important than our personal goals. And as soon as the team does well, you know, because there's so many people who spend their last salary to come and watch us play and they want to see us give our best on and off the field. And that was a change of mindset. And we started working hard, you know, and I think a lot of us got off social media just to make sure, you know, we put our heart and soul on, on and off the field and we challenge each other. And I think the most important thing that he brought in was honesty. He was always honest with all of us. Announces the team and he told no one-on-ones, it's just us as a team, which was really amazing. So you always knew where you stood and you knew where the other guy was. So it was really special and we're really grateful that he did this way it was tough at the beginning but we got used to it we have so many rugby players in South Africa and also told us that we can move from union to union and now all we wanted to do is just work hard and keep everything you can you know and that's what we did that said we must also listen to what Sia had to say about what winning the trophy means for South Africa 
I think Coach said it earlier, how proud we are as South Africans. And we know how many people didn't give us a chance, but we had to believe in each other as a team and the people around and the plan. And, you know, he kept on telling us how good we are. But, you know, and it drove us to work hard and it drove us to places we haven't been before. And, yeah, it was special for all of us. And I've never seen such support from our people back at home. And I honestly don't think we could have done it without them, you know. And, you know, everywhere we saw these videos, people sending videos, people coming together. It was it was really beautiful for us to see. And, yeah, it was awesome to, to have my dad here. Really grateful that I could share this moment with him. Uh, it means a lot to me and my best friend, obviously, for me. And, yeah, it's just an absolutely amazing day for all of us. I, I can't say any more than that. I think one thing I must also tell the, the listeners that there's a bit of arrogance, but it's more disappointment from the English players. It's, it's more disappointment than arrogance. You know, we should just take this win and stay humble and show we are better sportsmen. Even Eddie Jones admitted that they were beaten by a better side on the day. That's history in made. But I think that what I would like to just add here on top of everything is winning this World Cup is a holistic approach that the guys had. And you cannot take away the credit that was go to the assistant coaches, you know, to Matt Proudford, who we killed him in the scrums. Just sick. You cannot, uh, we scored backline tries and Jock Ninabu was phenomenal. And then also behind the scenes, you know, you have people, the physiotherapists, the doctors keeping them on the field, the nutritionists uh, keeping them healthy and so on. So it was just a total thing. And, and also, Sorry's given them the tools to do it. So I think it was just a whole team effort. And I agree that the one thing that's going to happen, the more we can win trophies like this and show the people out there that we are as a nation getting together and sport is a great tool, the less the politician's power is going to be using and abusing it. So that said, it was just fantastic. And uh, it was disappointing to see the English, some of them not receiving their medals. But I, I can just imagine the emotions that have gone through there. They already a day before the game saw themselves going back to London as the world champs and it just didn't happen. Eugene, I'm glad that you acknowledge the backroom staff. I think sometimes we don't do that often enough. You know, we all speak about Russian and we've spoken a bit about defence and, and Israq Ninaba, but there are the other backroom staff, like you said, Matt Proud, Food Stick, the physiotherapists and the doctors. It's all a, a massive team effort. So I th I'm glad that you mentioned the backroom staff. They deserve some plaudits. And you touched on, on the arrogance of the English. Perhaps Eddie Jones in general tried to be humble and gracious in defeat. Some of his compatriots, especially in the media, were not so gracious. And we'll play a clip now from Eddie Jones, how he answered that. But there's been so many excuses in the, in the media. And I'm not going to go through all the excuses. It's, it's just really like crybaby stuff and really lame excuses. But one, one of the things that came up is the, apparently the bus driver or the England bus arrived late and they, and they couldn't warm up properly. And the real arrogance of the English to expect everything to go their way. And Eddie just put them in their place. So, so maybe now's a good time to listen to what Eddie had to say. And he particularly touched on, on the late arrival of their bus in the build-up to the final and how it affected and also where he feels that his team stands right now. Eddie, there were some suggestions that you guys were late to the stadium. What happened there and was that a significant Disruption on your preparations? Not at all, mate. As a team, how, how do you want this team's campaign to be remembered? How do you want this team to be remembered in terms of how they looked at by? Well, the second best team in the world, mate. We didn't meet our goal. We, we're not the best team in the world. Our goal was to be the best team in the world, but we're the second best team in the world. So I think that's how we should be remembered. I think the guys, players prepared tremendously well for this World Cup. I thought they played with a lot of pride, passion, and we got caught short today. These things happen. But you can't doubt the effort of the players. I thought they were extraordinary. 
why we came short today, I'm not sure. Yeah, and sometimes you never know, mate. And, and it's quite a young group. Where do they go from here? Do you see this this team having a, another another shot at in four years? And, and and yourself, do you see yourself having another four year project in you? Well, I tell you, Nick, the only thing we're worried about now is having a few beers, and that's the only thing we will worry about. And then after we have a few beers today, we'll probably have a few more beers tomorrow, and then probably Monday, and then maybe we have to pull up stumps. I don't know why we didn't play well today, and this is one of these things that happens in high level rugby. We thought our preparation this week was good, but in the end of the day, it wasn't because we didn't play well. And you can have the most investigative debrief of your game and you still don't know what was wrong. It just happens sometimes. It's not a good day for it to happen. You know, we're going to be kicking stones now for four years. And and it's hard to kick stones for four years. So we're massively disappointed. But at the same time, I've got great admiration for what the players did. I can't tell you how much respect I've got for them, how hard they've worked, how they've played well in this final. We came short today. But it's not because of lack of effort, mate. So it was a great World Cup. So we feel humbled to be part of it. Yeah, we're disappointed we're not the world's best team. We finished second. And the silver medal's not as good as the gold medal. But it's a silver medal. And I'm proud of my players. I'm proud of the way they've conducted themselves in Japan. I think they've been great ambassadors for English rugby and for the sport of rugby. I think the game of rugby's grown over this tournament. You know, we now have another serious rugby nation. I'm sure Japan's going to push that influence into Asia. So the game's grown. They've been great competitive match, well-refereed, well-administered, well-organised. So it's been a tremendous tournament to be part of. And I think Japan should be so proud of what they've done for rugby and what they've done for their own country. And we're just disappointed we didn't get the money today, mate. But there's always another day. Well, Eugene, we hear what Eddie said. And I think, you know, he's such a good coach and I think he's, he's a, a very astute person. And, you know, to acknowledge that he was beaten on the day and the, how well we beat them and just accept it and move on. And, and you know, I, I like his chirp about kicking stones for the next four years. It's it's literally like that. You know, you, you feel so down and, and you worked so hard to get to the final and, and you had, uh, they had real belief and, and now they're kicking stones. At least Rassi will be building for the 21, you know, he's got something for the next two years. And I need to, at this stage, I need to point this out. I know there were lots of reports last week that Rassi is done with coaching. Rassi, I need to remind our listeners, and I think that those listeners who visit Rugby365 and read our articles will know that Rassi late last year already said, after the World Cup, he's going to step down as coach. He stays on as director of rugby. It's something he made very clear. He never tried to pretend he was going to be anything else. So he's no longer head coach. He's done and dusted as head coach. He's going to move on to director of rugby, but it's going to be a more active. And, and he, again, before the, the Wales game, the semi-final, he made that very clear. His role as a director of rugby will be more hands-on. He's not going to sit behind a desk. So there's going to be a, a, an appointment uh, of a new head coach, and we'll discuss possible replacements for us in, in a possible head coach just now. But people just need to know, it's it's not a secret, it's not a state secret that the World Cup was always going to be Rassi's end as, as a coach in a coaching role. He, he will now be director of rugby and he will guide and let's call it hold the hand of the new head coach through to the 2021 British and Irish Lions series. That, that's Rassi will build up. And, and I think for the first time, there's this succession planning that we've got. And, and I think off the air, you mentioned that, that you've got something you want to talk about. And I'll let you talk now. But the, the succession planning, you can see, and we spoke about it earlier, that Rassi's had when he started. Now we'll see the succession. We always spoke about New Zealand and their succession planning. Here's our succession planning. Rassi will be involved with the team. There will be a new head coach. Rassi will be guiding this guy, holding his hand, and taking him through to the British and Irish Lions in 2021. 
There's a succession planning. Some players will move on, but by and large, we're keeping the bulk of the squad together. You know, off the air sounds like uh, off the record. <laughs> this is very much on record. I think uh, exactly what I what I said. We have got good coaches and great coaches in our country. Maybe Rossi's role as director of rugby at Sara can also be to guide the super rugby coaches and take it right down so that super rugby coaches can take the process down to the curry cup coaches to the under 20 coaches and to the junior levels i think that golden thread we're going to get right now i'm pretty sure that's that's going to be part of his plan and uh, actually you know if we talk about the uh, who's going to be the next head coach i would like to tell a story and i need to eat humble pie a, a few years ago just before Rossi was appointed when he was still on the short list with i think there were names like robbie deans and uh, john plumtree and they asked me on on Arisca for a comment and i just said I uh, on the list I don't think uh, he's quite the right guy uh, you know not yet and because I felt that he's the history that he had you know at this one curry cup one at the free state and uh, he was actually it was much more than that so I have to apologize to him because he contacted me out of months and said no but he's his mom listened and his mom of who was 80 and I must tell you it's been it's been spooking with me since that time because I didn't mean it that way but so I need to apologize to him and to his mother about me saying he's not the right guy I was definitely wrong and you know can show that people can be wrong he's really come out so strong and and I guess it's the old saying it's not how you begin it's how you end so we've given him a lot of praise and and me as well I think he's just got the right he's got it right to to pick the right guys around him to get the right culture to back his place to me that is the biggest thing he backed him through thick and thin and uh, it's just a success story and that's why I feel that we must give him the opportunity to ride this wave as long as he wants to it's his turn the guy that's going to step up in his footprints or in his shoes uh, will be carefully picked Jan. they will have to ad- most probably advertise the post but they already got guys that have been pretty successful in our country like your on Ackerman. I see they're talking about Jacques Nienaber. Uh, there are names, Dion Davids. I'm sure with the success we had now, they can just follow a thorough process of appointing the guy. And the guy definitely needs to have the same uh, philosophy, more or less, than, than Rossi and Saru has with a senior team. And it should be an easy process. And the fact that he's going to be hands-on is going to mean that we're going to have continuity and keep that momentum. <laughs> By golly, we got the players pool. You know, we don't even have to talk about it. We in South Africa got a great place pool. And if we can utilize that right, we can definitely be the number one country, rugby country in the world for a long time. And there's long, one last thing I want to say, and we discussed it as well. Uh, you know, always when it's the end of the year tour, when our guys are pretty tired of Super Rugby and the Castle Championship and all that, we don't do that well at the Northern Hemisphere tours. We lose a match or two and everybody just jumps on the bandwagon and says, yeah, Northern Hemisphere is catching up. Northern Hemisphere is catching up. The gap is getting smaller. It might be so, but history is written. The Northern Hemisphere has won the World Cup once. The Southern Hemisphere, South Africa won it three times, New Zealand three times, Australia two times. That's all I've got to say. Eugene, you're spot on. It takes a, a big man to acknowledge his mistakes and, and, and apologize. We all have opinions, and sometimes our opinions are on, and sometimes they, they're not. And I'll be the last one to say that I've never made a mistake. I, I know I've said things about and had my doubts about certain of, of Rossi's decisions. And, you know, at the end of the day, Rossi can now proudly stand there and say to us, I told you so. I know he's not that type of person. He won't do that. But I'm I'm just glad that Rossi will be involved. And I've explained the process, how it will work. Uh, when you discussed possible candidates, you left one name out, which is Johan van Gran. You know, as we know that... Rassi was involved in, in getting Johan van Graan the, the job in, in Munster after Rassi left to return to South Africa. Johan uh, van Graan replaced him and, and Rassi played a role in that. Uh, so I, I think the one thing that we need to acknowledge and, and 
see here, the, the bigger picture, is that all the successful New Zealand coaches had a stint in in the Northern Hemisphere. They did their, their homework, their schoolwork in the Northern Hemisphere, got some valuable experience, and then returned to New Zealand. And, and you know, we know of Joe Schmidt and we know Warren Gatlin. So so we've got guys. We've got Johan Ackerman, who's coaching in the Premiership and European Cup. Uh, we've got Johan van Graan, who's coaching in the Pro 14 and European Cup. So we've we got valuable experience that we can bring from there. And that's it. You know, I've also seen the reports that Jacques Nienaber is one of the candidates, which which is possible. I'm not sure what head coach experience Jacques Nienaber has. We know that Dion Davids have been drop shutting uh, Rassi this year. So that's another possibility. But the fact remains, Rassi will be involved and Rassi will be holding his hand, guiding the, whoever comes into, into the setup. Let's end this podcast off on a high and we've given credit to all the players, to all the coaches, to Saru, to everybody involved in this. But I think we must also give credit to all the South African supporters out there young. It was incredible to see everybody dressed in green, to see everybody shouting of joy and happiness. It is just so winning World Cups and being number one in the world is just a unification of our nation and we need more of this. And I don't think it could have come at a better time. I guess we needed this more than the Queen and let's keep this humbly and let's live out the status for four years of being the number one team in the world. Zinas, agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's a wonderful thing and, and we should ride this wave for as long as we possibly can. Well, that's it from myself, Jan de Quinning. And Lofi Yalof. That's it for 2019. We bow out as champions. Till next time.